playing 18 to a full 60. Early leads to buzzer beaters. It all starts by getting on the board. Welcome inside a special episode of On the Board, Self-Isolation Edition number two. I am Colby McKee. Somewhere in the universe, Lance Dahl is there. Yeah, I'm walking around in my living room. There you go, buddy. Nice. Uh, also in the stratosphere, Corey Bacoskis is there. I'm still in my basement. How about you, Colbs? I'm still in the basement as well. Um, on the line, we're, we're speaking with uh, one of our brothers. Now, Lance, I know that you don't have a brother. Uh, not that I know of. Not that you know of. Uh, my brother is not worthy of this podcast. So that means we're speaking with a ringside reporter and a member of the Hockey Night in Canada family. It's Kyle Bacoskis on the line. Yeah. I'm also in my living room. Oh, good. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. We appreciate you coming on, Kyle, uh, giving us a little bit of your time tonight. Uh, let's start a little bit back in Campbell River, British Columbia, home of the Bacoskises, and uh, talk a little bit about your journey coming from BC and uh, the start or, you know, the break that you got to get you that in with sports and hockey night. I mean, at your age, I got to say, it's, it's a quite an accomplishment, and uh, and I really look up to, to what you're doing there. Yeah, thanks, man. I just I was really fortunate to, to get the, the start and the opportunity that I got so early along in, in my path. I mean, yeah, as you guys know, uh, Corey and I were born and raised in, in Campbell River. If parents still live in the, the same house back there. And, um, I mean, I remember kind of in my early teens, I had these goals and aspirations of wanting to be an actor. Like, I loved Jim Carrey. I wanted to do what he did. And, uh, and then a few years later, I realized that that was not going to be an attainable goal. So I had to decided to look at alternatives and um, for us every morning it was either you know Jay and Dan on TSN or um, I'm sure you guys would have got a dose uh, of being out west growing up too Don Taylor on on Sportsnet Mm -hmm. Um, and he's a god out in in BC with regards to uh, sports casting so I mean between those guys I I loved watching them every morning and thought they just had the most fun in the entire world and figured you know what a a cool opportunity that would be uh, to do something like that so from there I mean I, I was lucky to get in at our local radio station there in, in high school and started to just get my, my feet wet and have some sort of understanding of, of how the business worked. And um, from there, I, in, in my grade 12, I applied to two schools, Ryerson out in, in Toronto and, and State Polytechnic in Calgary. And Ryerson did not let me in. And State was the, uh, they did not want me anywhere near there. And, uh, and State was the backup plan. And, and thankfully, I managed to get in there. So it ended up being a, a total blessing in disguise. Um, two years there and kind of towards the end uh, the woman I had been working with there she was scheduling people that did the, the different webcasts for you know the varsity volleyball games or basketball or hockey what have you on campus there um, her dad uh, at the time was the news director at, at Sportsnet out in, in Toronto and um, she put um, him and I in touch and at the time I just thought you know what a great chance just to send my, my demo reel out to, to him like what I had been working on to that point just to get any sort of feedback because to, to hear back from someone in in that position out in a market like Toronto, I thought that would be, um, you know, the greatest wealth of of knowledge and and information to possibly get at at that stage of things. So um, he wrote me back a a few days later and, and, you know, gave me some good pointers and kind of asked what my uh, plans were moving forward. And I told him really at that point I I had none. I had a practicum yet to do uh, right at the very end for a month in in Victoria.
Victoria, BC, back on the island there. And then I was still trying to figure out where my, my first job was going to be. Um, and then it was a few days after that. I, I got an email from, from Scott Moore, who at the time was the, the president of broadcasting at uh, Rogers Media. And he, in the email, said he wanted me to come out for an interview and audition in, in Toronto. And this was like in March of 2013. I was still in school at that time. So, I mean, of course, maybe my mind started racing a, a million miles per minute because I had you just you don't hear about that it wasn't it's not supposed to it wasn't how the path was supposed to go for people right like I mean you, you go to a small town and kind of work your way up from there and I totally bought into to that idea and, and concept if you will um, so to have that come across my my phone and my inbox completely blew me away so uh, shortly after I'd gone back to Calgary for my graduation in June uh, we drove back to uh, Vancouver and then on um, Corey and my mother's birthday i flew out to toronto and i uh, interviewed and and did an audition there in studio and so waited over the course of that summer to to see what was going to happen and they decided to to give me a shot uh, right late august they said we're going to move you out to toronto and october 1st 2013 i i started at sportsnet in in toronto and i've, I've been with those guys ever since and my role has kind of grown over the the years of course i didn't start on air right away um, but uh, within the first six months, I started just doing a little bit of reporting and, and kind of grew from there, moved to Ottawa and then Montreal. And I've been back in, in Ottawa with my girlfriend, Danny, here for just about two years now. And uh, fortunate to be a part of the, the Hockey Night in Canada brand. Um, when live sports is, is up and running, of course, we're on a bit of a hiatus right now, as most uh, other industries are. But uh, it's, it's been a really, really fascinating journey. And it's, uh, it's fun to look back every now and then because it's gone by so quickly. But, uh, you know, you certainly don't uh, lose sight of everything that you've been able to learn and the different things you've been able to, to see and people you've been able to meet along the way. It's been a lot of fun so far. Well, we'll probably dive into like the the whole what the heck is Kyle Wukoskis doing now that sports isn't happening because uh, that's an angle that we're all kind of tackling. But uh, you, you kind of touched on it just for you yourself, Kyle. Like there's a, a plan that gets put into place when, when you go into to school and you think you're going to go to these small markets and then all of a sudden, you know, this opportunity comes up where you're going out to Toronto. And I, I mean, you, you broke down the timeline of how quick it all happened. And I mean, when you're living in that moment, it could probably feel like it's taking forever because you're anxious to hear back but now that we're in quarantine you kind of look back at, at you know your journey so far do you ever get the chance to to really soak in like holy shit this is this is where we're at already um uh, every now and then i mean you certainly don't lose sight of just you know how fortunate i am to be, be doing what what i'm doing um i mean i just I, it's funny to, to think back now and and certainly at the time you think like you know yeah i was I'm ready for this and, and I can do this and, and this is this is where I belong and this is what I should be doing. Um, and, and then now, <laughs> looking back at it in hindsight, I'm going, good God, like, oh, you know, what the hell are they doing with me, with me on the air at that time? Like, I was, I was not prepared for any of that. So, um, you know, thinking, you know, four or five years ago and, and at that time thinking that, yeah, you had it all figured out and then everything that you learned and in that period of time since then, I mean, you know, it's the old saying that the, the more time you spend around this business and you spend time around whatever sport that, that you're connected and dialed into, you know, the more you realize how little you, you really do in fact know, right? So um, luckily I've, I've been surrounded by some, some really good people, whether it's, you know, other um, reporters or, or hosts or other people on the production side or technical side and then certainly um, those in the higher up and the executive 
levels of, of our buildings here between Rogers and, and CBC. Um, it's just been, you know, really fortunate to have an opportunity that they've allowed me to keep going out there and, uh, and to work through some, some kinks kind of along the way. So I guess that's, you know, I, part of the, probably what they were thinking when they first brought me in at, at age 20, um, was that, you know, certainly I wasn't going in there as a, a finished product and, you know, I'm certainly nowhere near that even now, but, um, having the ability and, and the patience to work with me from, from that, uh, that early age and that, you know, so early on in, in my career, I, I can never thank them enough for, for giving me a shot and I'm fortunate to still be part of things uh, here now. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's gone by quick guys. It, it really has. I mean, I know everybody says that when you're first kind of getting into things that they, you know, warn you about how quickly it's all going to go by. And I mean, I'm still relatively early on in things now, just in my mid twenties, but um, it's, uh, it's fascinating how, how quick it's gone by to this point. Yeah. Um, hi, Kyle. <laughs> hi. Hey. Hi. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, I know we've kind of talked about this over our, our brotherhood that, you know, we realized at an early age that um, we weren't going to be making the NHL as hockey players, but uh, let's try and get as close as we can to it. So I know that's kind of some a little bit of the motto that you've been having right now and in, in the career that you've gone on. I scrolled your Instagram a, a few days ago and I saw that picture of you with uh, with Iggy when you were at, uh, at SAIT, I guess. What has been the biggest thing, um, you know, the word maybe that you would use that, that has driven you the most, that, that that kid and the kid that worked for free at, at the river 99.7 and Campbell River what's been the word or one word that that has gotten you to this point um oh gosh one word that's uh that's a good one there little brother you stumped me a bit here um but I mean just just the just the idea of of you know always pushing for for more right I mean um I, I try to be you know whatever you do um kind of as the years go by you get an opportunity to whether it's you know cover cool events be part of um a broadcast a game uh, you know a night that becomes special or you get an opportunity to do something that um, is really neat whether it's you know someone that you're interviewing or um, just anything that that kind of you, you think that you know this is something that um, you'll remember for for a long time but certainly not resting on that you know always having the the desire to all right well you know for for us now if you're thinking in the real or the regular world of doing games every Saturday you get through a Saturday night game and like all right well how am I going to be better uh, from the next weekend and then the weekend after that you know I mean the producer that I work with on, on Saturday Shirelli Najak who's been um, around the game around CBC for, for a long long time here now and has been you know a, a pillar with regards to when you look at the, the history of, of Hockey Night in Canada um, coast to coast uh, you know he was I remember I'd, I did my first year with him in 1718 and then going back to meet with him in September of 2018 for that next year and uh, you know his motto that year was uh, Heinz 57 was that you know every, every week Week, we're going to be try to be five to seven percent better than we were the week previous and so <laughs> stuff like that i mean it's it's a fun little play on words but i mean it, it really is true right like it's a good motivator good motivator for you as you work through things and so um certainly at, at when you think back to when i was you know trying to do my best at, at covering flames games when i was still a, a state student i was so in awe of just the whole process and being up in the press box and going in with the other assembled media in the dressing room and being a part of scrums like that after games like i just i was almost caught up and just oh my gosh i'm here and then now to then be in a position where you're you're actually you're you're doing your job and you're trying to do the job of the 
the best of your ability and you're trying to do your job better than everybody else in the room, right? So um, certainly as you, you, you mature and you get more adjusted to things and just that whole idea of striving to, to be better, I think that's probably the, the biggest takeaway I've had from, from now compared to what it was like back then. You've had some fantastic interviews already that have gone viral. I mean, going back to dealing with Gritty. It's uh, always nice to catch up with old friends in the city of brotherly love. Sean Reynolds in Dallas, please take it away. Back in November of 2019, you also dealt with uh, the Hamilton, the pig, the Carolina's uh, most famous supporter uh, in May of that playoff run. Hamilton, as you know, it is the year of the pig, so if only we had a gift here for you this evening to really sum things up, and we do. So there we go. Hamilton does hockey night. Game three. That'll do, Hamilton. That'll do. Which one, looking back at them both, do you enjoy the most? Because at the time, I'm sure you didn't appreciate Gritty touching the hair and shooting you with a silly string. Yeah, no, I, I much respect to Gritty uh, forever and always. Um, that, that was cool. I mean, I just – because um, – I mean, that was that was just something I, I didn't see coming. I mean, we had talked about him being a part of our little opening there in some way, um, but the whole silly string bit at the end, I, I had no idea that was, was coming. So my reaction there was as authentic as it gets. Um, but I, I will say, I mean, the, the one with, with Hamilton, the, the pig there in the playoffs, I think will forever be um, my, my favorite one, I think, to, to this point, just because, because of, of what it was. I mean, it was a, a live pig there who had become like the rallying point for the herd hurricanes and their fans throughout that playoff run i mean he was a star around the building there on on game days in in rally it was really really neat and so um his uh his owners there his his mom and dad that um had him and and had him you know, wheeling him around there on the uh the red flyer wagon and brought him to where we were doing our our opening position um you know talking to them beforehand and making sure all right you know is everything i just want to make sure i'm not doing anything or you know can i get this close to him or will he get a little skittish and no no, no everything should be fine and uh <laughs> beforehand saying uh, again Shirelli our producer I'm like like how am I supposed to do this like I, I got, he's not going to say anything back to me like how am I supposed to make this believable like what the hell do I say, say to Hamilton and uh so he goes he goes pretend you are Ron McLean on Hockey Day in Canada when he's gathered by a bunch of seven eight year old kids on an outdoor rink and he's telling them all these stories and all the kids are looking at him like he has no idea what he's talking about but he's just continuing to tell the stories of what happened 40, 50 years ago in that town or whatever they are talking about. And I'm like, okay, I got it. And uh, so that, that was all I needed to hear. I was like, okay, I know what you, I know what you mean. So anyway, it was a fun little moment there we're undoing the, the suit jacket and, and sitting down cross-legged next to him. And when I was talking to him, I mean, I'm out of the corner of my eye, I kind of see him like he's almost looking and nodding at me. And, uh, and then in talking to... Uh, to his his owners afterwards are like he's never done that he's never looked that engaged oh. he's, done, he's done so many tv interviews and different stuff like that with all the local media and everybody kind of throughout the, the last couple of months there during the playoff run he's like he's never looked that interested i'm like all right well if uh, anything else i've become uh, somewhat of a pig whisperer so i can take that to the grave yeah, yeah that's something to, something to hang your hat on like is I, i've interviewed the tigers mascot once it's not easy so i can appreciate that 
Uh, I, I get the right. difficulties. I know. They think it's all just like, you know, it's all fun and games watching, right? But it's those are hard ones to get yeah, that's, back. That's tough. I mean, when you're talking to yourself, it's not easy. Uh, obviously, one of the teams you might have uh, kind of worked with or covered a lot was uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, their season each and every year seems to be one that kind of enamors the entire country as uh, people get wrapped up in either loving or absolutely hating the Leafs. There's no in between. Throughout this, I guess, shortened season, we'll see what happens uh, in, in the coming weeks and months. But, I mean, there was, there's a lot to unpack in the entire Leaf season, Kyle. So I'll just say, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, first off, I'll say, I mean, thinking back to their season to this point, I mean, it feels like a lifetime ago with everything that's gone on since. But, um, yeah, it just it was one that, I mean, came in obviously with – a lot of promise just with their their young players being a year older. Obviously, you knew going in that you weren't going to have um, William Nylander miss half a season, and you figured you would get a lot more out of him. Um, Austin Matthews, um, a, a year older. I mean, you going in, you didn't know what was going to happen all, all over the course of the whole summer. The biggest story was, you know, when's Mitch Marner going to sign? Um, so then when training camp started and he hadn't quite – signed yet uh it kind of just had a bit of an an odd feel to it um and then from there i mean it just seemed like you know it never really got right back on the rails to the point where things felt comfortable or at least felt to the point where people are going all right this is kind of what we expected going in right there are a couple different things um that crept up throughout training camp i mean the 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 sideshow of who's going to be the captain and trying to you know see between the lines when whenever you know a guy like mike babcock or kyle dubas would would speak to to that subject and then um there was you know the incident that, that went on back in in scottsdale over the summer with with austin matthews that, that came into the into the spotlight and, and that was something that had to be dealt with and then um you know the season started as as it did and um it never really it, it just seemed like it was going off the the rails before you could even get through november and obviously the the coaching change was was made there and i remember doing that game in in pittsburgh i guess the the penultimate game of, of mike babcock's tenure in in toronto and it just was just such a odd feeling a watching that game going like who the heck is this team and this is you know nothing like that what you know is you look at their lineup and you're going how are they possibly sputtering and seem to be seemingly spiraling out of control this early on in in uh, in the season and um like i remember like you're almost standing out by the the team bus afterwards kind of making sure like well is 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 babcock going to get on the, the bus here or are they going to just leave him here in, in pittsburgh before taking off to to vegas and ultimately it was one more game and then they made the switch and so it just uh, you know Sheldon Keith comes in and there was there was certainly some 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 great moments um with with him at the helm and the team looking like you know how they were were built to play with regards to to possession and um the, the quickness with with which they kind of were able to feed off of one another but uh man even as they were it looked like they were starting to maybe turn the corner um and then of course the, you run into another slide you get hammered in pittsburgh and then you have a big win back at home and then the david Ayers night against carolina and that seemingly was like for them 
um, you know, the, the one of the lower points that they've had in in recent years. And they've been, you know, up until they drafted Austin Matthews in 2016, there had been a lot of low points in those years leading up to that. So um, the David Ayers night, those seemed to trump it all. Uh, it just, it was, it was a team that looked like because of the division that they were in, they were still going to be able to be a playoff team and likely would have wound up that three seed and in facing Tampa in, in the first round. But there just was never really that feeling that, uh, that from the outset anyways, that, that this was a, a team that was, you know, really the, the, the threat that many expect them to be going into the, the season. But I, I thought it was interesting. I was re- reading uh, Elliot Friedman's blog there that, you know, a couple of weeks ago that he had interviewed uh, Austin Matthews and, and he was asked if there was ever any concern or, or panic uh, in the locker room that uh, they could potentially miss the playoffs. And, and Austin totally d- dismissed that thought. So, um, I mean, obviously they're, they're a confident group in there but um, it was a, a very up and down year and I guess you know party always kind of wonders well if we had gotten to the playoffs what would have ultimately happened um, there were one of those ultimate wild cards that you knew they had the skill to, to, to make some things happen but they just hadn't put put it together consistently enough throughout the season to think that they were a real threat and so because of that I mean they were they were a team that once again left their their fans pulling their hair out for much of the season mm-hmm. yeah for sure I mean back to that David Ayers night um, I I think you know people that aren't in this industry and even people getting into this industry they don't quite know that you know your whole game plan can switch in an instant i know that was the case for you on that david Ayers night um can you take us back and you know what was going on in the control room what was going on in your brain and that you know it's just a normal hockey game maple leafs versus hurricanes you got your you know your set game plan you got stats everything and then boom both goalies go out everything is out the window right i mean i, I said this before there was a game earlier this year and i I can't remember which one that it was. Um, it probably, I think it was around somewhere mid-November where the visiting starting netminder had gone down in Toronto and at least forced us to look at, okay, well, who is the emergency backup goalie on hand here tonight at the, at the rink? And we'd found out that it, in fact, was was Dave Ayers. Um, so we were just kind of ready with that. And then um, when James Reimer went down within the first couple of minutes there that night uh, with Carolina in town... <laughs> I at least had had remembered the name, and um, so we double checked that it in fact was him that that uh, was the the e bug that night in in Toronto because I don't believe he's there for every game, um, but he was again that night, and so I remember I think just. Uh, to start the second period, I just made the the note on the air that uh, you know David Ayers, uh, who works with uh, with the Marlies and, and does stuff with the Maple Leafs, uh, he he's is, the Zamboni driver. Yeah, right, right, right. That's a good Steve angle. Going on it. Yeah, right. And um, and so I, you know, he's here. He's the emergency backup, and you know he'll be ready if if needed. But still, at that point, you're never thinking that he's he's going to go in, right? Everyone's why would other why would you otherwise assume that Peter Mrazek wouldn't finish that game? And then um, I'll never forget just the the energy and and all of a sudden the reaction in the building when Kyle Clifford and Peter Mrazek collided. And it was right down in the corner where I watch at ice level at Scotiabank Arena, and holy smokes, the collision there was. Incredible. Great stick. Knocked the puck down. Jason Spence's long reach. And oh, what a collision here. Mrazic got run over by Kyle Clifford. And the worst case scenario for the Carolina Hurricanes, the trainers on the ice again to look at a goaltender, and already one goaltender's out of the game.
And then you're thinking, like, and you're looking at him, you're on your, there's no way he's getting up from this or at least staying in the game, right? So you're going, oh, my God, like, David Ayers is going in. And um, and it was actually, it was we were so foreign to him. I think we, we even had the, the pronunciation of his last name wrong the first few times. I think I was saying Ayers or something. Um, and then we corrected, it's, it's David Ayers. And uh, so anyway, so then you know there was obviously the delay where you're having to fill between you know jimmy craig up in the booth officials are not only talking but they're going to give the carolina hurricanes all the time that they need this might take a little while how about this moment oh my goodness what can be going through your mind right now and you know what's going through rod brindamore's mind he can't believe he's seeing what he's watching number 90 come out get fist bumped from all his players David Ayers, the emergency goaltender. He's from Whitby, played some Junior B. Sat on the bench for the Marlies in December of 2015, but didn't have to play. And here he is in a National Hockey League game in the middle of a playoff race for a team that desperately needs the points. So what's what going? a moment. And there was, you know, obviously a lot of replays that they were able to show to kind of buy them some time to properly tell the story of, of how we got to this point. Um, and then for me, in the meantime, like I'm just trying to figure, find like any kind of information I can. And then, um, thankfully, I'd, I'd been, I found this this article that was was written earlier that year when the Leafs did their outdoor practice at Nathan Phillips Square. He was one of the goalies that was able to, to go out and, and be part of that little three-on-three minute tournament they did in front of all the fans there publicly in, in downtown Toronto. So I'd mentioned that, that he was out there doing that. And, you know, now he's 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 getting geared up here now. We wait his, his arrival here at, at Scotiabank Arena on Hockey Night Canada. And um, he came into the game. It was, what, I guess 3-1. Um, 3-1 Carolina then and Carolina had gone on the power play and they scored right off the hop it was 4-1 and you're thinking alright so I like it was Toronto just seemed like they stopped playing and uh, and then you know 4-2, 4-3 and then you have the feeling that you know okay well the inevitable is, is going to happen and I think Jim Houston even his line on the air shortly afterwards was you know this just doesn't seem fair and uh, and it didn't. If you look at the way the goals were, were going in, I mean, the poor guy was standing there, you know, stiff as a rock. And uh, so you get to the intermission 4-3. And even, I mean, you know, Kelly Rudy and in his second intermission segment, uh, Rudy's take with, with him and Ron, I think his... Um, his prediction was like it was going to be a, a 10 to 4 final or something and in favor of Toronto and I don't think there was a lot of people that, that would have disagreed with him at, at that point there and uh, it was fascinating to watch that third period where you had a Carolina team that played full on game 7 desperation um, they defended and competed as hard as any team I've, I've ever seen in, in person and then uh, you know I, I likened it to the, the Maple Leafs it was like you know the you know Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewing and Space Jam when they had their talent sucking <laughs> out of them. Like it wasn't like they were they were they were trying hard. It wasn't a lack of effort, but like like Mitch Marner's toe picking on the power play, like stuff that you have never ever seen from these players that play at such an elite level. It was as if they just they started squeezing their sticks and um, all of a sudden started to think about like oh god, are we really going to lose to you know a forty three year old Zamboni driver? And uh, and they did. 
Like they, like Carolina scored a couple of quick ones early in the third, and and that was that was all she wrote. So um, for me, and I, I've said it before. I mean, the the most the biggest takeaway, the the one moment that I'll, I'll kind of never forget, will always be engraved in my mind, is after we did the interview with Ayers there in the hallway. All right. Well, finally, I'll just ask. I mean, you get credit for the win here tonight, David. I mean, your last game of record that we could find was Allen Cup hockey five years ago. <laughs> How would you just describe what tonight was? Uh. It was awesome. Obviously, the time of my life out there. Uh, I've been on this ice many times without fans. Put fans in the mix, and it's a whole different game, obviously. But, uh, hey, once in a lifetime, I'll take it. And uh, he went to go walk in the dressing room. Rod Brindamore was there to shake his hand. And then he went around the corner into the room and just the roar from inside that dressing room um, of all the players inside there. I mean, it was as if they just won a playoff series and he had backstopped into a shutout and, and accomplishing that feat. So it was uh, it was wild, guys. It was one of those stories where even like non-hockey fans are getting into the conversation going, did you hear about the Zamboni driver in Toronto? He, he won a game. He, he beat the Maple Leafs. Um, people that otherwise wouldn't be interested in, in hockey on a Saturday night were all of a sudden, you know, glued to the TV. So um, it was it was really, really fascinating to watch all of that uh, unfold. So, yeah, it's one of those nights where, um, from a, a reporter's standpoint, I mean, any you know story or idea you had at that point gets completely thrown out the window. And then from, um, you know, to the end of the game, from when he goes in, it's, you know, what what can you possibly dig up on this guy that you can add? It's all about David Ayers. He has become the story. I mean, we saw the tweets from his wife, Sarah, that... Uh, <laughs> they were colorful. Um, some of them were, were... They were colorful. That's a good way of putting it. Um, so we had actually tried to get in contact with her to figure out where she was sitting in the arena because it would have been great to, to show her reaction. And um, But, we you know, we weren't able to, to get in touch with her in, in time before the game ended. But... Um, anyway, that's just kind of, that was the, the whole shift, right? Where, where nothing else mattered, but uh, this 43-year-old that all of a sudden is is thrust into action, right? Like if there's two quintessential dream jobs for, uh, you know, a, a typical Canadian, likely they are a Zamboni driver or a National <laughs> Hockey League player. And so he's managed to, to live out both of them now. So he's doing all right. That's amazing insight right there. That's fantastic. Um, I quickly, one more thing with the Maple Leafs in terms of my end, but the way their roster is built, they've obviously built a very forward heavy with the likes of Matthews and Marner and Tavares and Nylander and the likes. I guess going back to even dynasties of the past, like Chicago's, you know, fearsome twosome and the Pittsburgh guys, they won their cups before they made their money. And the way this whole new NHL is going is just quite simply, you have to pay these young guys. They've, they're asking for more and they're getting more. Do you think I know it's kind of a tough spot I'm putting you in, but do you think that the way this roster is constituted, that they're able to to win a Stanley Cup with this roster? I mean, they would be they would be one of the first, right? Like it's kind of unprecedented to be you know playing on a, a team full of you know that's driven by by young superstars that have all got their money very early on in their career before um, you know uh, earning an achievement like a, a Stanley Cup. So it would it would be unprecedented. But I'm you know for a lot years i'm sure we were all thinking like oh can you win a stanley cup with with alex ovechkin well it turns out yes you can so i think for for them you know even if if you know we went back to this pandemic didn't happen and everything stayed the same we were in the playoffs and they made it you know to the second round and got bounced for by boston again or whatever would have ultimately happened i mean i think this is a, a team that you you 
try your best to just keep rolling your best guys out there year after year, much like Washington did, where all those years where they called, you know, break up that core, trade Ovechkin, trade Backstrom. You can't yeah. win with Holtby, all of that. And, and they ended up, I mean, they, they were steadfast and, and determined that that was the group that was going to be able to, to get it done. And uh, they ultimately achieved it. So, I mean, it's certainly going to be tough. I mean, especially now when we're so trapped in a, a salary cap type mindset, and especially in Toronto where they play things so tightly to the, the upper limit. I mean, you have to rely on, A, those guys have to be game breakers for you. And then on the bottom end, you need to find cheap contracts that are close to the league minimum that are able to get it done too and, and to find some some unexpected depth and almost exceed expectations for it because it seems like, I mean, those when you look at other teams, I mean, even the Pittsburgh back-to-back years, you had, you know, cheap players that you had called up, whether it was, you know, Connor Sherry before he got paid or a Jake Gensel and a Brian Russ and all those guys and how good they were for them in the playoffs. Um, those are the kind of guys that, you know, a team like Toronto would need to find. And it was clear that they, you know, as much as they like to be a fast puck possession type team, I mean, it was clear that uh, he had, you know, Kyle Dubas had cited that there was some still just, you know, old fashioned brute strength that um, was lacking there. It was obviously needed to be identified for him and going out and getting a guy like Kyle Clifford in the year before getting a guy like Jake Muzzin, who they've now managed to extend there. I mean, there's there's also some value on those guys too. Um, so it's 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 one of those things where until they actually pull it off, you know, we really don't don't have an answer. So um, you, you got to respect the the skill that's there. Um, but they haven't been a team that has yet been able to to put it all together because um, as as nice uh, things that they have been able to do at times during the regular season. This is still a franchise that hasn't won a playoff series since 2004. Yeah, and like you look at, it's not even just like the NHL, but it's like every major sports league, 99% of it's copycat in the sense that you see something and, and you start, sure. you know, trying to apply it the, the, the best way you can. I was like lately been thinking back to when Craig Brube came into St. Louis and then they go on that run and obviously end up winning a cup. And then you look as to what was happening over this past NHL season before the pandemic hit and I mean you had coaches that were getting punted left right and center from from Babcock which was obviously a well-documented story but you even look at a coach like Gerard Gallant moving out in Vegas uh, mm-hmm. obviously Bill Peters a little bit different mm-hmm. in Calgary somehow he has a job I don't fucking know how but we'll dive into that another time as, as a coaching carousel seems to like really pick up after the Barube move which worked out like are, are coaches more in a bind now than ever does it feel like Kyle? Well, I mean, the good news is, is that, you know, over the last few years, and I think it started with, you know, how much money that Mike Babcock made in his deal when he came to uh, Toronto back in, in 2015. Um, I think that really, you know, reset the bar with regards to, to coaching salaries. So I think in, in most cases, they're being paid, you know, better now than, than they ever have been, um, which is, is important because, I mean, I, I can't even begin to, to fathom, like, the, the schedules that, that an NHL head coach has and how many hours are logged at the rink during the season and still even in the offseason how much time is 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 put in and I'm sure you guys can imagine just everything that that comes up uh, along the way and how committed you have to be if you're going to be in a, a position like that but I just think when you know you mentioned the, the the carousel and the amount of casualties coaching casualties if you will that were going across the board in the NHL this season I think it's just a really good reminder guys like you know how how much of a premium and and how much pressure there is to to win in this league and and to win now right I mean how good of 
of a story. It didn't seem that long ago that Vegas was with Gerard Gallant at the helm, and he was the the runaway winner for the Jack Adams Trophy in in 2018. And and then you know, not even midway through this season, he gets gets punted, and in comes Peter DeBoer, who had just got fired in San Jose, who was you know arguably their biggest rival at the time. And how awkward must that first team meeting have been with him now coming in um, in front of those group of guys that he was you know trying to game plan against and was doing everything he can to make those guys lives miserable over the course of a playoff series whenever they saw each other in the regular season um, but they felt that he was the best guy for the job I think there's there's so much money at stake for for teams with regards to, to revenue with her you know in terms of how many playoff games that you're able to, to host and the longer your season goes on that you know the more money that you know an owner and, and the team is able to make and there's just so much pressure now with regards to, to winning um, unless you're you're in a position where you're, you're in the full-on rebuild blow it up and, and reset mode um, I think for for teams that are anywhere around that that position to, to win now it seems that the the margin for error is just becoming slimmer and slimmer and uh, in most cases when things go awry a little bit it's usually the coach that should ends up feeling the the wrath of it with this whole pandemic that's been going on I've seen some some things some rumors around <laughs> that the the salary cap's going to be going down do you you know it's going to take some really smart teams on the other side of this to be very successful I mean going back to the Toronto Maple Leafs it could very well be that uh, they have to lose one of their stars at the end of this don't you think yeah and I mean and a lot of that guys I mean just right now is is totally above my head just because I mean this is going to be completely unprecedented with regards to what you're looking at and in, in terms of money that was was lost and then how that will affect the, the salary cap moving forward so I, I think there's there's going to be these I, I don't think you can do can't just do just a, a straight rollback in terms of, of bringing the salary cap down because I think you will then force too many teams to then start buying out guys left, right, and center. And I think it'll kind of cripple the, the system in, in many ways in that sense. But uh, I'm wondering how it's going to be interesting to see how they end up coming to, I mean, you'll have to agree to it because the, the players have to sign off on it as well, um, how they're going to look at tweaking the numbers. And then on top of that, how much of money is going to be coming off the players' checks moving forward that's going to have to go on escrow to pay off all the money that's been lost to this point and however much more revenue will be lost moving forward. So um, I, I think, yeah, certainly there's there's going to be a scenario where um, whatever ends up happening, there's going to be some teams that are, are going to feel the pinch and, and some tough decisions are, are going to have to be made. But um, certainly, you know, I think that the, the, the league and both the players are going to at least want to initially come back in a scenario where you know things aren't aren't too drastically different from from what they were beforehand if there is a way to kind of drag out um, what was the the loss in in terms of revenue over the course of these you know five six months however this ultimately ends up lasting um, if there's a way to drag that over over the next few years um, in terms of getting that revenue back and and you know balancing out the the 50 50 revenue split that way I think you know hopefully I would have assume that's something that the, the, both the league and, and the players are, are looking at because you know, I certainly know from a commissioner standpoint to an ownership standpoint, a GM, a player, um, the, the less that you have to go down that road where now all of a sudden you got to start buying guys out or start trading players because of something like a, a pandemic, I think they will look for every opportunity to, to avoid situations like that. I know the current plan or what 
you know, everyone hopes, at least in NHL-wise, is that we get back playing, uh, whether it's July, whether it's August, whatever the case may be. Uh, I have heard and seen talk that they maybe want to start exactly with the Stanley Cup playoffs, maybe get a two-week training camp in and then dive right into the playoffs. Um, I know it's obviously way too early to tell, but have you seen or heard anything? How do you think this plays out in terms of um, a kind of a, a schedule that the NHL wants to, to go by going forward? And if that's the case where they're starting the playoffs right away, what do you do with the other 14 teams? Do you just say, hey, see you guys in a few months? Or, or how do you see that playing out? Yeah, I think they're right now looking at any and all possibilities of what, uh, whether it's a completion of the regular season or just getting right into playoffs that they get an opportunity to do either of those things here once things um, settle down. But I, I got to be honest, guys. I mean, I, I love being, you know, the, the positive, optimistic guy and think, you know, no, there's, there's, there's a way, there's a way to do this. And, you know, there's going to be games again and we'll find a way to finish this season. But um, it's just, re- it's really difficult to, you know, logistically and, and logically see a scenario here where um, this season is going to, to come to a, a rightful end where a Stanley Cup is, is awarded in some capacity. I mean, I know they've, they've talked about certainly the, the ideas, the reports have been out there and even the, the governor of New Hampshire has confirmed that he's been talking to the NHL about potentially being a, a neutral zone site for, for games to be played in, in a building with, with no fans. But there's still so many things that need to be worked out and, and so much needs to happen with regards to the amount of cases to come down and, and to really kind of have any sort of sense that we're on the, the other side of this thing before you can realistically look at, at doing something like that. But it just for me right now, it's, it's, it's tough to envision a, a scenario where where that happens you know i mean because if you're pushing it back later 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 where you're playing in august and september say something like that and then it's a small break in october and then you're back again late october early november um because i know the one thing they said that that, you know almost as as important as as finishing this season is that they don't want next season to be affected they want to be able to play a full 82 games next year and and a full playoffs because this is still very much a a gate-driven league with regards to uh, earnings and and revenues so um then it becomes so you're going to play a season that will end well into October potentially and then turn around quickly to start a new season while even you're still able to play 82 games, what's the quality of the games going to look like for the teams that played right up to the end, that played in a conference final and a Stanley Cup final. So in a way I find you are affecting the next season because um, the quality of competition just isn't going to be there. I mean, Drew Doughty said that he felt that when you know they played the World Cup of Hockey there in 2016, he felt that you know he never truly felt right as a, a player after that because you, you died into things you know head first in, in September when normally you're just working the kinks out in, in a training camp um, so now it seems like you know it'd be feelings like that times four or five if you're looking at a, a scenario like this and you know on top of everything else um, I was listening to Brian Burke on radio last week and he said you know for him and there's a guy who's been around this game as an executive at a team level at, at the league level for decades now um, he's a guy who said, well, you know, until there's a vaccine, like there's, there's no way I'm going into a building to watch a game. There's no way I'm letting my kids go in a building to watch a game. So um, until we're in a point where you can confidently say that coming to watch our, our teams play 
uh, a regular season or playoff game will not put you at at risk of of any type of illness related to the coronavirus. Um, how comfortable are people going to be to to pay and and buy tickets and and to come out to an event like that? So there's still so many hurdles I think that needs to be needs to be jumped here. And and sports is is so far down the line with regards to what's most important and what's you know what's at the forefront of what they're dealing with right now. I mean I I would love to be wrong and. You know, maybe we're at a point there mid-July where we can get back and there's a two to three week training camp and, and there's a way to, to kind of find an ending to this season. But right now, it's, I got to tell you guys, I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, I have a difficult time seeing a scenario where that's no, uh, in any way likely. Personally, at least I can't. I don't know about you guys, but like I, I, I don't see any way. I mean, like the U.S. is just a disaster. No, it's very difficult. Right. Like I worry about next season too. Is again becomes because of what they're saying, where it takes up to a year to come up with a vaccine, and until that comes, unless there's any sort of breakthrough, I, I don't know. I like. Can you confidently say like we can pack stadiums again with eighteen, twenty thousand people, and they're not going to be at, at risk of of causing a, another outbreak? Like, I, yeah. Like I, I just don't think. You yeah. Can. And I think like there's just so so much changing, right? Like I mean, I, you can't even predict the next week. I mean, I remember when Shadowski scored the uh, the game winner against Red Deer in our final regular season game. I remember like days after, I was like, yeah, we might be playing games with no fans in the playoffs, but I don't think that's really you know, going to happen. And then the next week, I'm like, oh my God, the world is shut down. <laughs> like every week, right. there's something. Like, I don't think you can even predict what's going to happen um, in June. No. Exactly. You have no idea what the world's going to look like. And I don't profess to know. <laughs> I'm not going to be any kind of expert with regards to um, epidemiology or, or health on the world stage. But uh, just in listening to, to those that are in those positions, um, I mean, outside of uh, of the gentleman to the, the south there that, that resides in the, the White House, I mean, there's there's not many that are anyways that have any kind of credibility that are anyway saying uh yeah we can we can see sports coming back to full capacity here in, in a short period of time it just no is not Kyle, likely at all right now. something that is going to sound negative but i think it's a reality that we're going to start facing more and more in terms of revenues i mean like we, we've been saying we have no idea how long this is going to last there's going to become a real i guess fork in the road for these for these owners who I would assume, I don't know all, but I'm going to assume most good business owners have their hands in multiple different facets, not just all their eggs in one basket. But even that, to, to that extent, a lot of these teams are going to be looking at potentially not being able to run. It, it, like, is that not going to be an option considering that they're not going to have revenues coming in from anywhere? And then you got to think the payrolls that are going to be coming in. Like, like some of these teams, to me, it doesn't sound like it's a far-fetched thought to end up being run by the league. Right. And I mean, Gary Bettman has long said that, you know, the ownership has, has never been stronger. And I do believe that, like, you know, you hear stories about, um, you know, certain previous eras of, of the NHL and um, some of the ownerships that were a little less uh, sturdy than than when you they are now when you look across the, the 31, soon to be 32 teams. Um, they're in, the, the, you would think that they're in an okay position to handle this, but uh, you're right. I mean, as, as time goes on, and you're not collecting the, the type of revenue that you anticipate to collect in, in running a business as, as large as a National Hockey League franchise. I mean, sometimes decisions have to be made. Like, I know 
you know, for instance, in, in Montreal, the, you know, executives like Mark Bergevin, you know, head coach Claude Julien, I mean, took a, a salary cut to kind of try to, to diminish the, the blow there. But I mean, only that is a, is a small piece of, of the pie in the grand scale of things. Um, I mean, I know the players deferred their, their final salaries on, on April the, the 15th um, just to kind of set themselves up for whatever kind of windfall there is, is going to be somewhere down the line. But um, it's, it's, it's it's still I feel it's it's early days in, in that regard that um, the longer this goes on then yeah that's that's going to be called into question because if you this time goes on and you're not getting um, the kind of revenue that that you're you're accustomed to I mean just like a lot of businesses have, are feeling right now that are aren't operating throughout this this pandemic I mean what what's happened well, there's there's people that have tons and millions millions of people that have, have been been laid off uh, because of it so you hope it doesn't get to, to that point but I suppose none of that is, is out of the question because, as, as we've talked about, there's no end in sight. There's no real sense of having any clue how long this will go on for. All right. I think we beat a dead horse. Let's get this. No, I want to see the test some more. That's good. Uh, yes. Like that. Oh, let's. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, we, uh, with all of our experiences, as we call it, basically our, our interviews that we bring guys on, um, we kind of go through a bunch of names and basically just give us your, you know, impression or a story or something that maybe not everybody knows. Um, we're going to start with Shirali. I know you guys have just a great relationship. Obviously, he's the Hockey Night in Canada producer. You guys have so many good stories about your road trips in different cities. Just, you know, maybe people don't really know about him. He's not the Elliot Friedmans. He's not the Ron McLeans, but definitely a very... <laughs> just an absolute character uh, maybe just talk a little bit about him <laughs> yeah I, gosh where do, where do i start with him so i mean he he grew up in in hamilton ontario just out, outside of uh, toronto um comes from you know a, a big big family that that all have have big big hearts where um it's about you know being there for each other being there for others and uh certainly he he carries that into to how he does his his job right i mean you, you know that when you're working with him that they see he's he's got your back that he's looking out for your your best interests and um and and uh he's doing you know everything that that he can to make sure that you're in a position to to succeed i mean he is he is the quintessential leader where he is you know pushing people up from from the bottom rather than standing at the top and trying to drag people upwards right like he is always in a position of of empowerment um with regards to the the people that work uh, beneath him and i think that's why they get he gets the best out of out of his staff and and his production truck on on saturdays so um i mean man there's there's so many different different ways to to go with this one i mean there's there's some real good stories with him but um i mean just you know on the road when when we're out together i mean we'll, we'll always we'll, we'll grab dinner usually um somewhere whether it's the, the hotel lobby or or somewhere nearby and then you know usually we'll, we'll go sit in his room and we'll we'll go over stuff um just to kind of get a sense of you know our, our list of story ideas for uh for the, the the game the next day and um usually it you know we, if there's a game to watch we'll have the game on and then you know by the end of it we've got shark tank on or wherever we're watching to kind of <laughs> just some mind-numbing entertainment but um one of the one of the stories i was told just to to give you a sense of just how mischievous he he can be um and he's he's relented a little bit in recent years but uh so when elliot freeman his first year as a ringside host on hockey night in canada he had just come over from the score so he was working on you know the main game with bob cole and then harry neal and um shirley najak was the producer 
And uh, so usually when you get into situations like that, and it's, you know, no different for me at, at Rogers, you're given a, a corporate card, so a credit card. So anytime you're, you're uh, out uh, traveling for, for work and, you know, you're doing stuff like uh, paying for flights or your hotel reservations or, or cab fares or anything that would fall under business expenses while you're on the road, you would put it on that that credit card and then you know in most cases there's a system that you then go through afterwards you hang on to all your receipts and you claim all your expenses through some program on the computer and you reimburse that way and you just keep it going um, month after month so uh, Elliot was was very new to this and so he's using his credit card his corporate credit card um, for the you know the first time and he was asking Trelly, you know, so so how does this work? Like, do I I keep that, you know, I hold on to my receipts, and um, you know, what do I do with them afterwards? And Trelly goes, oh, he goes, don't don't worry about it. Like, he goes, it's a CBC credit card. Um, he goes, like, they they'll take care of it, right? Like, they've got people on their end, they'll take care of your expenses. Don't worry about it. So so he didn't, and then uh, however many months later, all of a sudden, you're, there's there's a balance owing of, of thousands and thousands of dollars that he had yet to claim. Uh, thankfully, he got it all sorted out. But obviously, it wasn't uh, an issue that was was too terrible. But uh, that was just it was a, a good sign of of uh, the mischief that uh, he is able to to get into. Another thing he loves to do is something called uh, the name sounds a little bit uh, a little bit off putting, but uh, the game is fun. Um, he loves he loves to give people what he calls it's the a hot, hot spoon. spoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought you <laughs> Yeah, so we were uh, we actually. I was living in Montreal all the time, but I come here to Ottawa to do the outdoor game here in in December a few years back um, with uh, the Sens playing the Kings, and we're staying at the at the Fairmont Hotel here downtown. We're having breakfast one morning, and I'm sitting there just you know admiring the view out the window, or right next to. Uh, the East Lawn here, Parliament, and uh, sitting there to some some eggs and, and toast, and all of a sudden I just get this incredibly hot sensation on my forearm, and I turn to look, and he's got like the spoon that he used to stir his cream and sugar in his coffee, <laughs> like pressed on my arm, and just the the look on his face of just pure joy, and uh, so I guess that was something that uh, you know him and, and Scott Oak have worked together for so many years, so like within seconds. He's on the phone with Scott Oak going, Okie, Okie, I hot spoon Kyle, I hot spoon him. So Okie's laughing, and I'm sitting there going, like, what the hell have I just signed up for? So anyway, there's, it, you've always you've always got to be on your toes with when you're, you're with him because he'll, he'll look for ways to exploit you. There's times where, you know, breakfast buffet, and I'd go to get food, and I'd come back, and unbeknownst to me, he's dumped, like, 10 packets of sugar in my cup of coffee, and I go to take a, a sip, and, like, my my teeth have all fallen out now. Uh, like, like it's just, it's nonstop. And he'll play the, the, you know, the cute, nice guy game and kind of butter you up that way and think, oh, I'm safe with this guy. I'm safe. But you've always got to be on your toes around him. He's, he's always ready to pounce whenever you're, whenever you're not thinking. But, uh, man, there's no other guy I'd rather work with. He's, uh, he is a joy and been a wonderful mentor. We'll get some more, uh, you know, Hockey Night in Canada personalities in just a second. But I got to be the one to ask. Because Corey is your brother, you gotta have a story somewhere in the memory bank that uh, you'd like to share with all of our listeners. Uh, that you know, what's something that Corey has done in the past that maybe he doesn't want to share with everybody? Oh, Let's go. Uh, so there's there's a few ways I can go. I wonder here. where he's gonna go. Um, so yeah, so here's um, 
so growing up we had uh we had what was called kind of like the game room right like it was where oh. our video game setup was it's where you know whenever you had buddies over you went and hanged out and cracked a couple of cream sodas and watched repeats of family guy or whatever you did so um <laughs> as we got a, a little bit older like I, so i guess i would have been in high school at this time and you know, Corey's five years younger younger than me um i mean we had consumed a lot of hours playing you know the nhl video game franchise as most kids do that grow up playing hockey and uh we got into some we would get into some heated heated one-on-one battles and it always worked out where i would play i was a flames fan as a kid uh, i would be calgary Corey, of course was a ducks fan so he would be anaheim and um it, you know we would we would flip for, you know, essentially to who would get home ice advantage so who would be able to oh, be going huge. up the screen for, for two periods because because that yeah, like, as, you know, as you know and they were always always really really tight games where it was like you know a 2-1 3-2 4-2 with an empty net like seriously um, like, like and, and I would got, I would play video games for like for like a battle. year Kyle would be off for a year no video games we'd come back like 4-3 game <laughs> <laughs> It was it was nuts. No matter just, how the skill level, tense. and there was always there was always some words exchanged at some point, um, and you know whoever ended up losing like really really took it hard. Like there was never a handshake, and like you know, well well done, brother. Well done. We'll, we'll do this again sometime. Um, it always ended badly, and and one of the worst times. So uh, one of my my best friends growing up and, and still a good buddy now Brady Fraser was over uh, so we had gone the three of us down to uh, McDonald's earlier that day and gotten uh, McFlurries together so we came back and I don't know how we ended up like playing just me and Corey and maybe just Brady wanted the entertainment but uh, um, okay you know you, you guys play so alright and the way it always worked was Corey sat cross-legged on, on the um, <laughs> on, on the floor in, right in front of the TV looking up and I always sat we had these like black leather couches and I sat back on, on the couch and so just kind of a few feet behind him and uh, away we went and, and sure enough like it was a pretty even series I bet you if, you, if we kept track of the all-time record it would have been pretty even but I, I was up a goal uh, late in this game and again tight as always um, questionable calls either way I think it would have been 2-1 or something and then he pulls his goalie late to push for the tying goal and I end up scoring an empty netter to seal it and uh, he, Corey instantly turns around and grabs his McFlurry cup that had about like, you know, a quarter cup worth of now melted ice cream in the bottom and picks that cup up and fires it right at me. It goes over my shoulder. It explodes on the back of the couch and all over the wall. And he turns and looks at me and goes, look what you did. And then just stormed out. Yeah. Yeah, I was choked. And just stormed out. I was choked. And so... (laughs) Look what you did. Yeah, so I I, I had... I mean, I obviously knew what that felt like to, to lose a game of that magnitude so I then went and, and cleaned the, the mess up because I knew he was already feeling pretty pretty bad as is but uh, that was an all time fellas I mean we've had some good wig outs over the years as, as brothers but that's did. one I'll always remember yeah yeah there's, look what there's... you did 
to the point where even now, like, like, so like every now and then when my, when my buddy Brady and I, when we meet up, I mean, somewhere in the conversation, we'll look at each other and go, look what yeah. you did. And that's all we need to say. Like we're, we're right back in that fateful day downstairs. Yeah. Legend has it. There's oh. still McFlurry mark on those walls. <laughs> I, was, I, I was talking about this to, to my girlfriend the other day. Yeah. Like if the sunlight is coming through the blinds at the right angle, you can still see the glisten of the McFlurry ice cream on the, on the wall. Oh, it has to be properly cleaned. Yeah, no, I mean, in my defense, it's one oh. thing to lose a heated battle, but if there's an audience... Oh, it's even worse, dude. It's even worse. <laughs> it's, even worse. <laughs> it's not between us two. It's... Yeah. It's expanded, but yeah, we've uh, yeah we've resorted to being on the same team now. We don't we don't get to be together very <laughs> yes. often. Yeah, but now it's like, we like we cu- usually come right. down around so the holiday. We do, we're always on the we'll same do like team. a we'll do a World Junior yeah. tournament or something. We'll team up as Team Canada. <laughs> then there's no McFlurry. And then just play the CPU or what? <laughs> Yeah, superstar. Okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, we play on superstar. Yeah, yeah. we play the hardest difficulty, yeah, but so, uh, I mean the pass. Yeah. If we're getting and into and this, as, as you guys, it's tough being. Yeah, well, sorry. Yeah, we're getting into this. We had a very heated tournament over this past Christmas. <laughs> God damn, we were down like four nothing at one point in the semifinal no. game. We're storm all the way back. Yeah. Anyway. Whoa. Where are you going with that, Kyle? Yeah, and we had we had well, no, yeah, we've had we've had some good moments as as teammates too. One time we did the playoff series as as Calgary, and we set the brackets up as if they were in like the 2004 playoffs when the right. Flames went to the final and lost to Tampa. So we were up against <laughs> Vancouver in the first round. Who, for whatever reason, Corey and I, growing up on the West Coast, despise Vancouver. Like there's no worse feeling than than losing to the Canucks, whether it was in real life or in the video game. Um, so sure enough, like we were down, we were down three games to nothing in that series on superstar and we couldn't have felt any lower and uh anyway i i will never forget that feeling of of jerome scoring in overtime of game seven like we stormed all the way back and won and we i remember like we were like yeah we were little kids in a, a candy store celebrating so like when you two won standing on his head and like, when you two were together which one because there's always one person that takes it just a little bit more serious that's like calling out plays and like calling for passes even though it's NHL on like an Xbox which one do you use calling out the passes I feel well, like it's Corey yeah so he would he would want to like spend time before the series and like go over like our, our line configurations and what like the how our power play wanted to look I'm like well, that's just I'm, I'm, he wants like, to set up the playing, umbrella like, with a little extra attack right. on the first line yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, for right, sure. right, exactly. Yeah, the first two lines play a little more aggressively, and yeah. Anyway, so that stuff, I was like, I was like, oh, I'm good. Let's play. Let's yeah. just play. But uh, hey, it, it it ends up paying off later on. You know, late in the series, that's oh, where, that's where that man, sort of stuff like, comes through. Preparation. Kind of running out of time, and I don't even know how to transition off this. So I'm just gonna ask you, Carl. Uh, like, what are you doing these days, man? Like, what are you doing to to really fill your time? I mean, there's there's a lot of different things that you can learn or or try to do or uh, just existing things to help you kind of, you know, stay sharp in your career. What, what are you doing uh, during these quarantine days? Yeah. I, I wish I had like some really neat things that I oh, was I have like, oh, I'm, I'm learning I Mandarin or something so. like that. That would be like, really? No, I, I, I wish I had like something neat for you guys, but I mean, I just, I've been trying to stay productive just with, with work, even though there isn't much to do, like whether it's even, 
staying on on top of whatever you can with what's kind of being said and um, you know who's been doing what interview and if there's anything interesting worth just to kind of keep in the back of your mind for for later and then this back past week was actually I don't know I'll call it busy but it was the busiest that that I've had since this is has all started I mean I, I just did kind of like through Zoom I did an interview with with Thomas Shabbat of the the senators which which was was fun to do and then um, played around with the uh, the Instagram live format on uh, on Friday and had uh, Puro's own Jonathan Torrens on, who of course many mm-hmm. would remember as, mm-hmm. as J Rock on on Trailer Park Boys, and he's been on countless other Canadian based um, television shows over the course of, of his career. So it was really great to, to listen to him and, and chat with him for, for a few minutes. So uh, moving forward, I, I don't know. I mean, like we've been trying to get outside once a day just to get some fresh air and, and at least stay stay fit with doing different uh, workouts that we can find just uh, other gyms around Ottawa that have been posting, you know, live workouts to, to do that we've been piggybacking off of. So between that and um, anything else that we can, we can think of here just to to kind of keep us keep us sane um oh, i got an n64 yeah. just as this kind of all started so i've been playing oh. nhl nhl 99 a little throwback so that was my <laughs> first nhl video game i had so um that's been a good lesson in in patience and in understanding because uh, as you guys can well know and imagine um the gameplay back then and if you find an original mario now, party so. you are sick. Uh, oh no i've got no, one there i've got one they are not cheap it's un- like the the Mario games do like, is right now they hold their value. Was but like you away. get that you get like Mario Kart sixty four and James Bond Goldeneye, you are set for life. I know so Goldeneye's good. next on on the list. But I've got I've got Mario Kart. I've got Mario Party, NHL, oh, and Excite Bikes. That was a good one. Mike Metzger, I'm working through. <laughs> Excite Bike. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so it's 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 been fun, but uh, hopefully a little more productive here as as time goes on, as as I hope you guys are too. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're kind of wrapping this thing up. Hey, I got I got nothing for him. Yeah, you know enough much about him. I gotta ask one more thing. Yeah, one more thing. Um, I mean, your hair is synonymous with Kyle Pekoskis, the image on Hockey Night. I gotta know. Like, how long does it take you to do this? What products are you using? Like, give me, give me the four one one on your hair, man. <laughs> uh, I've I've learned that uh, I've learned to simplify over the years, and that the whole less is more approach. So I've I've tried to do that, but uh, no, it doesn't take me too long. I mean, eight to ten minutes usually. Um, okay. To, to to drying it and kind of getting it to you know finally sit in place because it can be a little bit stubborn at times but uh no i just use like this this um strong folding or molding uh paste that uh, i get from from where i go get my my haircut here in ottawa and um it seems to it seems to do the trick i mean i both Corey and i are blessed with thick heads of hair so i've tried to put it to to good use the best of my ability and so the the one nice part of, of this quarantine is just I'm, i've been able to, to grow it out with, without a care in the world so we'll see what kind of new hairdo or new look i may i may try to experiment with here depending on how long this goes on how long can you go without getting that cut like what four weeks six Five. weeks like, what's the time like? <laughs> well <laughs> that's right that's right oh hell yeah i, I take a con air from everything on the road um <laughs> No, I, I, I gosh, I, it's, it's. I'm ashamed to admit it, but I mean, I'm every three weeks I gotta get like when three weeks when things are normal. 
that's that's yeah. where I'm at. I'm, I'm once every three weeks. I got to get in and get cleaned up. Like one, once every four weeks. Like if something happens and all of a sudden I can't get in um, as often as as I normally would. But uh, yeah, but but I've completely shifted my mindset here now. Where I'm like, then you're gonna feel so good when you get that haircut. Right. Oh, you're gonna feel so good. Yeah, I think we're all on the same boat. Haircut, I think that's one of my like five favorite things to do. I agree. Uh, read. What are the other <laughs> four? Then? But reading is good for your mind. And then uh, the other three have to do with some sites yeah. that I can't talk about. Right. Oh, uh, all right. Well, I think that's about it. Kabakoskis, thank you so much, man, for coming on. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at SNKyleBakoskis, B-U-K-A-U-S-K-A-S. Kyle, thanks once again for coming on, man. Fellas, it was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to On the Board. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the board podcast. Yes. Yes.